When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Sportico's Football Stories podcast, a brand new show, a brand new podcast about the stories of football and of our fandom, of what makes a fan, of what makes someone a supporter of a team. We will explore that and what it is that makes us love the game so fervently, so loyally. We will be bringing you every week a different story of fandom and what a football club means to each of our guests. We will be speaking to fans of all walks of life. From some of the biggest and best names in football media all the way to, I don't know, your local baker. My name is Ander Iteralde, and alongside me is my co-host, and his name is Craig Hansen. What's up, Craig? How are you? Hey, Ander. I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. I think we're going to have a lot of fun making this new podcast, and I hope the listeners will come along with us for the ride and have a lot of fun, too. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, Speaking of which, why don't you tell our awesome listeners a tiny bit more about this show and what we're going to be doing with it? Well, we thought that we could make a podcast that is specifically for the fans. So they're going to hear in detail about a particular club, particular team every week. Um, One person's going to bring their insight, their stories, the things that they love about the club. We'll also touch on how things are going with the club at that time, on the pitch, uh, behind the scenes, everything like that. Um, so it's it's going to be great to get a real in-depth, detailed analysis of a particular club, particular team, every single week. That's right. Uh, and today, on our premiere episode, to start things off, we're going to be talking to our very, very good friend, Joe Brennan, who, apart from being one of my favorite people, is a lifelong Leeds United supporter, a super insightful football man himself, with tons of different perspectives on the game. And today, we are in national team season. We are going to be speaking, therefore, with him about the Republic of Ireland, which is his national team, which is the national team he holds dearest to his heart. Yes, despite being from Leeds, Joe was brought up in an Irish family. He sees himself as completely Irish, and therefore, he closely follows the highs and the lows of the national team. There's been a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and today we're going to get into some of his favorite moments, well, some of his most memorable moments, happy and sad, right here on the Sportscast Football Stories podcast. Hi, Joe. How's it going? 
Hi, Ander. Yeah, it's good. Thanks. We're really pleased to have you on for this first edition of the Sportico's Football Stories podcast. Um, how's life in, in Madrid? Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty sweaty right now, actually. Um, yeah. The sun's out and I'll be turning ever more red as the weeks go on. Yeah, but yeah, it's nice. Uh, the bars are open, so as much normality as we can have, it's nice. That's uh, nice, that's nice. And today we're going to be speaking about the Republic of Ireland. Um, Craig, why don't you um, get us started with our first question for Joe Brennan. Well, Joe, I guess the first question that's on the mind of most of the listeners is, it sounds like you have an English accent, but um, you have a keen interest in the Republic of Ireland national team. Could you explain a little bit about that, about this connection that you have with Ireland and with the team? Yeah, not a problem. Um, so as you've said, um, we're doing an Ireland podcast, but I sound suspiciously non-Irish. Um, my, I'm born in, I was born in Leeds in the north of England, so that's where my accent comes from. But pretty much everybody else in my family, bar my brother and my dad, were born in Ireland. Um, they come from a county called Monaghan, which is on the border between the Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Um, so my mum was from there and she moved over to England in the 70s to be with my dad. And then I was born in the 90s. And from then, yeah, we've always been going back to Ireland every summer, traveling to see all of the family pretty much. So, yeah, my relationship with Ireland is not a unique one, definitely not, because there's lots of people who have the same story as me and the same sort of ties to Ireland. But it's definitely one that I try to keep as live as much as I can because of my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's not super rare, I guess, because um, especially here in Birmingham, like pretty much everyone is in some way or not Irish. I'm a quarter Irish myself. And I guess in Leeds as well, there must be a bunch of people um, like that. Do you get the chance to go over there very much? Um, and when you do, do you get the chance to go to the football very much? Not only the national team, but have you ever managed to see any league games over there? Um, well, recently, nobody's been anywhere. But prior to the current situation, yeah, we used to go every six months, really, if we could, if not even even more frequently, because as you're talking about from your perspective in Birmingham, there's an Irish community there. There's a big one in Leeds, so flights are pretty are pretty common you can get a flight for a pound normally that goes to Dublin or Belfast from Leeds and the commute is really easy so yeah we go over really frequently in terms of the sport uh, well specifically football not so much mainly because the travel from Leeds to Dublin is easier than the travel from Monaghan to Dublin just because especially when I was a kid especially just with the roads and things like that and the time they were taking the money, um, which we'll get onto in the, as we're talking, the prices of the tickets and things like that were not really accessible for, for my family in this case. Um, but sport in general, so we'd go to the Gaelic football and you'd see it in the fields and things like that, or the hurling and the Irish sports were definitely a lot more common than the than the football, which curiously they call soccer over there to distinguish from from Gaelic football. To oh wow. What I would call That's football. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that either. Yeah. I thought it was just an American thing. Wow. Obviously, with the with the change in the popularity growing of football, our football, they're calling 
football, football has become more common, but there is still that distinction needed to be made at some points where some people will say football and mean Gaelic football, whereas soccer just leaves things clear to to the people who are talking about it. Sure. Wow. Yeah. No. That's a that's a very interesting thing. I as I said, and I thought it was a completely American thing. No, but it's funny to know that in Ireland that that was a thing too. Yeah. You mentioned the popularity, how it's grown over the years of our football, of European football, English football. Um, Ireland didn't qualify for a World Cup until 1990, all the way from 1930 all the way to 1990. They had never qualified, and then uh, in Italia and Italy, they they finally qualified. They finally made it to the big time. Um, what What are your... You didn't obviously live through that in your case, but um, what are your... Memory, not so much memories, but um, knowledge of it in a way. And what, how did it resonate within the country and the culture? The the fact that finally make it to the big stage in, in football terms. Yeah, it's massive, really. It's something that because, like you say, it's not a not a common occurrence for Ireland to get to a tournament. Even qualification is a big deal. Um, in terms of my memories, I obviously have nothing because I was too young to to see the the football being played but my dad would tell me about the stories and my mum and the rest of my family would even though in a general sense maybe um as we've just said football wasn't the primary sport in Ireland I think that sort of 90s period with um with Jack Charlton really brought football to the forefront of everybody's minds and And passion really it really brought out something in the country that was needed, especially given the history of the country, the recent history of the country, something to bring people together and to cheer on. Um, but yeah, it's just the qualification really. My my knowledge of it is just stories being passed down, sort of like from a Leeds perspective of thinking of the old Leeds teams of times gone by. The island thing is the same, just with less frequency because of the frequency that Ireland have qualified to major tournaments. Well, you you mentioned there the the kind of I guess I don't know if you would you call it a golden era of kind of the the nineties because um, not only Italia ninety but also USA ninety four I remember kind of vividly those the the John Aldridge kind of era I guess but um, how would you say what's your take on the current situation with Stephen Kenny um, do you feel I know that results aren't exactly great but the idea is that he's trying to bring young players through and I guess he's he's been talking about the lack of development over the years and maybe he's just bearing the brunt of that now do you think he's the right man for the job do you have faith um hope in the future yeah I personally do um because Ireland have been in such a rut for I don't know how many years just a long time of like you say very little if any if at all progress in terms of the very top level so With John Delaney as the chief of the FAI, there was no progress, really. It was just such a sorry state of affairs in terms of um, money being inverted into grassroots football in Ireland. And then, consequently, the national team suffered as a as a result of this. But in terms of Stephen Kenny, I see positive things because the, even if Ireland have qualified in recent years for tournaments, the football's not been, um, well, easy on the eye to be nice it's just been quite attritional and quite if we can scrape a result that and a result is a result um 
but with Stephen Kenny, you can really see things are trying to change, and that that intent is something that I personally will grab onto, even if results at the moment don't show that. I know a lot of people have lost patience already with him, but I can empathise with that because things have been so bad that people just want to see some positivity. And if you can't beat Luxembourg, then people are already at the end of their tether. So obviously they're going to want his head. But from my perspective, I think any change is good change at the minute because we've just seen such turgid things in general, not just on the pitch, over over such a long time. Yeah, I I definitely say that Stephen Kenny has my vote. Yeah, it's it's interesting how it's kind of unfolded because like um, also with the coronavirus, the the whole like timeline kind of shifted because Mick McCarthy was going to be there up until the tw- Euros in twenty twenty, the year twenty twenty. Then everything got shifted. Um, they still like agreed for him to leave in twenty twenty and have Stephen Kenny come in for um, twenty twenty and beyond. And that kind of left everything a little bit in disarray. I think within the plans they sort of had. Um, later, Mick Mc- having Mick McCarthy, I think it was on Sky Sports or something like that, analyzing Ireland games, which is hilarious because he would like really point out very like specific things that they weren't doing well, as if like he wasn't just the coach. And I don't know, it was just like a very like funny kind of little thing. And then, and how, the way in which Kenny hasn't really del- completely delivered, you can see kind of shreds of things that he's trying to do and like the whole kind of idea and try to make it a little easier on the eye make it a little more expansive make it a little more dynamic of a style of play but since that hasn't quite happened it's all kind of still kind of played into like this whole this whole saga that Ireland is as a footballing nation as a football team with the whole like um, the FA in, in Ireland and in in all of that that you touched on briefly with um, John Delaney it is it is a very like soap opera kind of national team at the moment and within the last few years and I know like following it more than maybe in a satellite way I haven't been following it as closely uh, as many as many people and many Irish people but it is a very like interesting story of a national team that could probably be do a little bit better but has also these all this kind of friction within like certain players um electing to play for England and all this like it has a lot of storyline value I feel like Ireland and it kind of like it's this whole like huge thing that later doesn't quite um materialize in, in the best way possible on the on the field yeah it's just it's just a, a bit of a circus to use a cliche sometimes um it, it just needs reform really from from the top down um talking about the League of Ireland, it's not a strong league. And as you've just touched on with the players that have joined England, if Ireland were, was in a, were in a more positive position in terms of the structuring of the FAI, maybe players like Grealish and Rice would have decided to go to opt for Ireland just because it's a nice, it's a nice place to be. It's a nice country to represent. Things like Patrick Bamford, for example, I know I've this is not a Leeds podcast, but he's... Every, everything's a Leeds podcast, really. Like, if you really, if you really think of it, everything's a Leeds podcast. Everything leads back to Leeds. There you go. That's, that's the tagline. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, Mick McCarthy just eventually gave up ringing Patrick Bamford because the proposition of playing for Ireland just wasn't attractive to him. And you can understand that because he's scored 17 goals in the league and what have, what have you. But even if he didn't do that and he was the championship Bamford, he still didn't find... Representing Ireland 
a better thing than not representing England. You know, he chose to not play for any national team and risk not being called up for England just in order to not have to play for Ireland because it's just not not attractive right now. But my hope is that things change. I'm just we're just living in hope at the minute. We're kind of dragging ourselves through the mud with the results, clinging on for any changes, really. Um, but anything, anything will animate the Irish fans because anything, anything does with the Irish fans in general. Such things like the sponsor, the the three or the aircon sponsor on the shirt has been removed, and this has led me, for example, to buy an island shirt, something which I would just have never done in the past because all of mine have been hand-me-downs, but because the prices were too high and you were buying a national shirt with, with a sponsor on the front, which I can't think of another national team that on the match shirt for fans, not the training shirt, has a sponsor on the front. So just things, like, just things like that that really disillusion the fans. And we're not talking about a fan base of a club where you can be from London and support Leeds or you can be from Leeds and support Leeds. We're talking about a country. So to disillusion an entire country is a different proposition to disillusion in a city, I think, or a club from a city. And I guess it's not only the people in Ireland itself, like we touched on at the beginning, like your story. Ireland's one of those situations with like a huge uh, diaspora of people, you know, all over the world and a lot of them are football fans and they'd probably like to see the team do well and represent them well. And at the moment, they're going through a bit of a dark period. We said that um, Kenny's trying to make it more expansive, more attractive. And another thing he's doing is bringing through the young players. You spoke about hope. Um, Are there any particular bright lights? Is there anyone in particular who can kind of take on this mantle and, and move the national team forward? Because I know that we're, we're probably coming towards the end of an era with, you know, guys like Coleman and, uh, well, a bunch of them, the, the guys um, of of the last few years are already kind of gone. And I guess Shane Long is still around maybe, but a lot of those guys who were, when Ireland were in and around qualification, they're all coming to the end. So who are going to be the, the new the new leaders in the squad. Can you see anyone that you're excited about? Well, we don't have a 20-year-old Robbie Keane, unfortunately, which would be very nice. Um, I suppose you've got Adam Eider up front, who's a young a young talent who could push on. Um, but really, we're just seeing lots of, so many changes that it's difficult to pick one name because we've. it's really... Um, what Kenny's doing is he is bringing through the young players, but there's still that that lingering link to the other. The I'll separate it, the other squad. So your James McLean's, your the she- Seamus Coleman, as you say. Um, but yeah, I'd probably go with Adam Eider as a, as a striker because Ireland needs excitement, and a, a, an exciting player is going to be a striker who's going to get the goals and the headlines. Um, but other than that, we're just waiting to see what happens really with the with the talent. There's not really somebody who's the the young talisman. We don't have, for example, an Alexander Isak, which Sweden have got, who's going to take over or supposedly take over the mantle from Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So at the minute, we're kind of hoping for our Alexander Isak to come through, um, which it hasn't at the minute. But at least on the pitch in terms of style, we're seeing a change, which I think is what 
if it's not the players that we can cling on to as a source of hope, it's the style, the changing style. So looking at, as we've said, playing um, more of a possession-based game, um, really just modern principles of the modern game that everybody's used to now has really, I can't stress this enough, has not been a, a stereotypically Irish way of playing football ever, probably. So that movement from this Trapattoni, Martin O'Neill style of play, really slow, attritional, boring mm. football with horrible players at times, moving that, even if the players aren't of a world standard or an exciting talent standard, it's still, we get to see like passing triangles and possession football and runs off the ball and simple things that everyone takes for granted, which is what we're clinging on to right now if it's not the players. I don't know if that really answered your question, but... No, no, I think it did. I think I think Kenny as well, maybe, um, not only that he wants to make it attractive because that's good for the fans to watch, but maybe he thought too that without that kind of talismanic striker, like you said, like uh, Keane or Doyle or Long or someone who's going to just do something magical up the top and then you can have sort of two banks of really big, tall, strong guys who just kind of keep it tight. I guess if you don't have anyone up top to to do anything, then what's the point in doing that, right? So maybe it's, um, I'm sure he's changing it because he wants to do something more expressive, but also it's kind of a necessity maybe to change it. Yeah, and we've also got um, Creveen at the back in, in goal, Kelleher, so the Liverpool keeper, which is quite exciting. Even if some of his performances have not been top, he's still a big, relatively no name at a big club. So he's somebody who we can hang on to. Um, talking about not having a Robbie Keane, we don't have a Shea given in net either. So yeah. it's just waiting to see, really, see what happens, see if this, see if the small changes join together and and give us something that we can look forward to for potentially qualifying for a tournament. Yeah, because, yeah, what, one thing that makes it particularly challenging, I think, too, within the whole... Well, the squad that's available, the players that are available, I think, and and looking at their different ages and all of that, I think it is the like intermediate generation, the generation like between all the like bigger names we were mentioning and the younger ones. There wasn't really that su- succession there in the middle, and I think that's what you're kind of seeing. Like you have all the young players, and I think that's what like Kenny has to go towards, like exciting, fast, high energy. Um, they're not, they don't have tons of quality, but again, being like a good unit that really plays. Uh, dynamic a dynamic kind of style like is i think the best way forward and then you have like your james mclean um crossing the ball in corner hurricane um smacking it from 40 yards i think those are like the (laughs) best two like um arms let's say that they have uh alongside all the all the all the younger um guys i think that's a very interesting combination we'll see kind of how it um keeps um unfolding in the next few years um and speaking of all these players and like that have come and gone and the all the like big names that kind of we we've mentioned and they kind of retired and they haven't quite been replaced but of those um famous players and they've been one of a few of the most decorated players in ireland history um you have a robbie Keane anecdote yes um this is quite a recent one actually it will have been uh, 2019, perhaps. Um, I was on a flight from Dublin to Leeds, just one of those coming back over from visiting family for a weekend or being at a, somebody's wedding, I can't remember what. And 
we were on the flight on the on the Ryanair, crushed in the in the cabin there, putting our bags in the in the overhead lockers, pushing past old ladies and what have you. And we're sitting there, and I could see this per- this guy sat at the front row next to the door at the very front. And I thought I recognise that guy from somewhere, but you, I could only see the side of his face sticking out from the side of the chair. So I spent the thirty five minutes while we're in the air trying to work out who this who this mysterious half head was sticking out from the side of the chair. So when the plane landed, we stood up and we're unpacking the the overhead baggage. And obviously I was trying to look and see who this mysterious person was who seemed to be getting a lot of attention from the staff on the plane. And it turns out it was Robbie Keane. So I um I pushed past all the people to try and get to try and get to speak to him, which was unsuccessful. So we went down, went down the stairs and he got on I don't know if you've experienced the horrors of a Ryanair flight. We he got on one of the separate buses that shuttles the passengers yeah. from one end of the airport to the other so i was staring at him for about 20 minutes while we were stationary on the runway it on a bus from one bus window to the other um then i what i followed him in the passport queue this sounds quite um sinister actually but <laughs> the intentions were all good i promise you yeah um and then i finally caught up with him just after just after baggage reclaim now it sounds like a romance story and um, and I got a photo with him, and he explained that he was going to go to Middlesbrough to be with uh, to be with Jonathan Woodgate. So oh. that will timestamp it. So that must be a few years ago now. 2019, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he went off in his um, private chauffeur up to Middlesbrough from Leeds Bradford Airport, and uh, yeah, signed a contract as Middlesbrough's assistant manager. Not before getting a photo with me, though. Yeah, no, that's the most important thing. Um, do, would you consider Robbie Keane the best ever player in the Republic of Ireland's history? He's definitely the biggest talisman that we've had in terms of talent. I'm not sure because he could never score one on one, but um, yeah, he's definitely the player that is. Is Aidan McGeady the best in, ever player from Ireland? In terms of pure talent. <laughs> There's no other question. There's not a question, really, is it? Yeah. A player who has a, his, a skill named after him. Yes. The McEady spin. So, uh, yeah, Robbie Keane's definitely the biggest talisman of my lifetime, anyway. You maybe go back to back in the old time where you've got John Giles, you know, in the 60s, 70s, another Leeds link. Um, he's definitely one of the one of the biggest names of that era. And then... The relationship between the team from the Republic of Ireland and, the, and Northern Ireland is one that's quite um, quite interesting because I would say lots of people in the Republic of Ireland, especially from the area geographically where my family is from, would claim George Best to be one of theirs as well. Without getting into the politics of Northern Republic of Ireland, the relationship is not, from a footballing perspective, a tricky one. Lots of people from the Republic will support Northern Ireland without a problem, just as they'll support Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to claim George Best as the Ireland's best player, then that's also a valid answer for some people. But yeah, in terms of talismanic figures, Robbie Keane is my number one from my lifetime. 
Yeah, most caps, most goals. Like, yeah, you, I mean, he is like that iconic figure that really like. I mean, because you do have Roy King to an extent too, but like what Ro- Robbie King signified over a longer period of time, being there for years and years and years, like and being a consistent, um, a consistent threat, and like maybe yeah, not the most skilled player in the, in the world, but again, a really attacking threat consistently and being that that figure, that Tasman figure that, that you mentioned, I think is uh, very remarkable. And for that longevity, like he started in 1998 with the Republic of Ireland and ended his international career in 2016. So, I mean, that, that is a, a pr- pretty, pretty, a pretty long time. Um, Craig, next one's for you. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask you um, to touch on that thing you just mentioned about the Republic in Northern Ireland. So I didn't know that. I would have assumed that if there were like a qualifier, for example, and they played each other, there would have been some kind of big rivalry or whatever between the fans, just like with England and Scotland. But you're saying that um, not so much. It would be kind of cordial, and and when an Ireland fan is watching a Northern Ireland game, he'd quite like Northern Ireland to win, and vice would, versa. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet my house that there wouldn't be any trouble, because probably there probably would because um, political stuff i guess right yeah without a doubt there's still don't get i don't want to be misjudged or misquoted or anything there is definitely still a massive divide yeah between the two countries um socially politically and in other areas but i'm speaking from a point of view being from the border counties where that divide between the north and south is taken very seriously one way or the other. So from my perspective, being from a family of uh, Southern Irish Catholics, that relationship between the North would, in terms of football, would be a welcoming one and would not be one that we as a family and as a, at least the county or the region would not shun away the North because that's just not what what is believed in that area. From the from the Catholic perspective, I can I don't want to speak from the Protestant perspective because sure. I don't want to say anything about that for that's reasons that I'm not involved in. Don't worry, it's not a political podcast, but that would extend to football, though. That kind of welcoming. Yeah, no, without without a doubt, the rivalry would be heated, and it would be um, like England Scotland will be heated, and it will be big tackles, and people will be cheering that little bit louder because of the opponents. It would be mm. without a doubt the same if the North were to play the Republic of Ireland. But um, from my perspective, where my family comes from, there's definitely an open arms policy in terms of supporting Northern Ireland. If you're watching a major tournament and the Republic of Ireland and England have both qualified, who are you backing more? To, in terms of my fan support? Yeah, who do you... You know, who who is in your heart? Is it both of them, but one more than the other? Or are you not really bothered about England at all and, and see yourself as completely Irish? Yeah, I mean, Calvin Phillips has been the reason I cheered at the England goal the other day. It, it's really um, difficult for me to support England because, as I've as I said um, in the in the intro, that all of my family are from Ireland except my dad and my brother and a couple of cousins um, as far as I'm aware that come to mind Um, so for me to support England like to think of myself in an England shirt is something that I can't really picture so yeah I definitely have to say the Republic of Ireland 
I mean, the, the 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 green the green is a very nice color. Like, I mean, just on pure aesthetics, I would I would pick Ireland it is. <laughs> ahead of England uh, as well. Um, we did kind of touch on like the um, let's say the glory years uh, of sorts of of Ireland uh, qualifying for well, first nineteen eighty eight the Euros in Germany, and then uh, Italy in nineteen ninety, the U S in nineteen ninety four, and then. Korea and Japan in 2002 these were like the like the best years in Ireland. Then they would qualify again for a major tournament in 2012. Um, how how was that experience? Or like finally after like the 10 year absence, getting back to a major tournament? Um, do you have any memories that stand out? Or that, I mean, it was a, a team that was like a hard watch. They were very attritional, but at the same time, at that moment. That period of time, they did have a team sufficiently strong, su- sufficiently competitive, big names that like made enough of a difference to be um, to be a team that uh, they could contend to a certain extent. Did, do you have any particular uh, memories, as I was saying, of that era of qualifying for 2012? Yeah, the 2012 um, was really a brilliant moment from my perspective being an Ireland fan. It was a first tournament Ireland qualifier that I could remember. And just being there, just, this sounds really um, horrible to say, just making up the numbers and make a lot Ireland fans being in the, in the bubble of a European tournament was just amazing. Like having Irish players in the Panini sticker books, yeah. um, seeing Ireland on the graphics for the, for the official group, uh, things it's just the colors are things that stay in your mind the i can the euro 2012 was the was um was it poland and austria austria and switzerland uh, poland and ukraine yeah austria and switzerland was oh, 2008 yeah. yeah yeah um so seeing ireland on the it was like i remember it, it was like a leaf graphic and seeing the island flag in the graphics and things like that it's stuff that sticks with you as a kid um in terms of the football as you touched on it wasn't very um nice to watch we got demolished in three matches in the groups um i actually watched the highlights of the spain island game uh at the just the previous week yeah and david silva just danced around the whole defense um he sent two play he faked a shot two players fell over he faked another shot another player fell over and he just passed it in the back of the net and it just shows the difference in quality between the national teams that should have been there and Ireland, who were the lowest ranked team there, they beat Estonia to qualify, which was very kind in terms of the draw for the qualification. Um, but yeah, as I say, just being there, just seeing the Ireland fans cheering their team, the walls of green in the stadium, it was just just such an amazing experience for so many people, such a generation, a generational gap of people that had missed out on on remembering their country play in a tournament, you know? And also, um, in, in that tournament, uh, a, a Sean St. Ledger goal, which I'm seeing here, was the only goal scored by Sean St. Ledger, the defender in Ireland, and that 1-3 loss against Croatia. Like, I, I forgot there was only one goal. Yeah, well, it, was a, it was a bit of a rude awakening once they got there. But yeah, at least as you were saying, they, they got there. Yeah, at least they got there. And... Um... That would have still been somewhat of a celebration, but you said that was the first kind of major tournament that you remember qualifying for. Um, I guess you would remember then a few years prior the the incident um, in qualifying for World Cup 2010, 
Um, was that the first time you experienced, I don't know, blind rage? In terms of Ireland, yeah, it was. Um, that was a big moment because Ireland really should have qualified for that tournament given the result and given that how well we'd played. That was really the first standout moment as far as my memory goes that I can remember actually feeling some sort of emotion other than just dull apathy almost towards the football that had been played um, because it was so unfair because there was no because the 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 team really should have been there and then because of what happened afterwards where it was found out that um, money was sent and received from people in order to keep um, protests to a minimum in terms of official complaints and things like that talking about the structuring of the FAI earlier I don't want to get into any trouble, but it was definitely not an official form of um, complaint. An official form of complaint was definitely not put through as strongly as it could have been in terms of replaying the match or or getting a a buy through to the tournament or anything like that because because of certain people in certain organisations. But yeah, that was that moment really exploded in terms of Ireland because of the infrequency with which Ireland qualify any moment that's going to ruin those chances and such an unfair moment by such a huge player at the time for a huge team, we could have stopped France qualifying or we could have been to a tournament at the expense of France with Thierry Henry. That's a massive moment for Ireland and for it to be taken away so unfairly really sticks in the memory. I was just looking... That's the thing I I found so frustrating about it, not just that... um... You know, obviously it was completely unfair, but the fact that it was against France and you were talking about how before then the only emotion you'd had was just kind of, I guess, boredom. But then, I mean, that would have filled you with immense pride, right, to beat France. Even then they were just a juggernaut and you would have qualified for a major tournament on the back of beating France. And they literally cheated to stop you from doing it. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, um, when when I was growing up in Ireland, when I, well, like I say, in uh, 2002, I was six. And then growing up from there, where is the age where you really get a hold on your teams? You really knit, you really get those colours stuck to you for the rest of your life. And Ireland in tournaments didn't do that for me for obvious reasons. But that was one moment where I really felt I could stand up and say, Ireland are in the news, people are talking about Ireland, and I support Ireland. And it was so unfair, especially from my perspective, with England having the team that they had at that time. Um, with big players, it was also hard. It was it was a team that was not difficult to, to dislike, really, that England team. So it was not easy for me to say no to that team, to the England team in terms of an identity point of view, but it was in terms of, well, England are going to qualify, and Ireland aren't. So, from that perspective, yeah, it was uh, it was difficult. But in the other in the other sense, in the positive sense, if you can say it like that, it did allow me to tie my colours to the Ireland mast in a in a public way, even if it was for a negative reason. On the positive side, it gave us VAR. Like that was like that. A lot of people do pinpoint to that day as being the day that really shook football to its core in many ways, just because of how it happened and the way such so, so a visual way that it happened. And it was such a big moment for both France and for the Republic of Ireland. And just 
that momentous thing like it just really like changed that uh, i mean football was going to eventually get there at some point but yeah that really um made a dent in, in the whole thing and yeah and, and looking at the players that, that played that day you know it's interesting it was an interesting team because a lot of those players yeah cause they didn't they did reach 2012 the euros but they almost getting to that World Cup with players you have really much more closer to their primes. I mean, they were probably a little bit past their peak, a lot of them, but much closer than they would be later on, like Robbie Keane, we mentioned before, Damian Duff, Keith Anders. I remember he that's when he started to play for Blackburn all of a sudden in the Premier League. Like he really had that emergence, and he was a really like interesting player back then. Liam Lawrence so that had and, and Glenn Whelan had gotten to the Premier League with Stoke, and, and Kevin Doyle was playing in the Premier League also with Wolverhampton. They, they really had an interesting team and a lot of players pretty close to like their peak of their careers that really was really like a moment to like really capture and really like push through and and make it to the world cup and like it was a real bummer that it they didn't quite make it now do you have any like particular memory i also see mcgeady like that's when he was starting also celtic and then Spartak. like that was a really like interesting moment like that 2009 period yeah definitely um the midfield of Glen Whelan and Keith Andrews doesn't inspire young children to to take up football. But yeah. as you like say, Keith Andrews was sneakily good. I mean, he, I did, he was like pretty like rough and tumble, but like he was a, like tidy player. Yeah, tidy, and he would make really good runs into the box. Like he would score a ton of goals. I think later when he went down to the championship, even though he was playing from midfield, like he wasn't. He was sneakily better than he appeared. I I feel. Yeah, he didn't look like a. That's an elite footballer. If I, oh, neither do I. Let me just say that. <laughs> neither but, neither uh, do any of us. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't uh, have fancied him against Pirlo, but he was all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, he doesn't have his own his own slogan in his own t-shirts, does he? <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of that team, I'm just having a look now. Um, I can remember really liking, secretly liking Damien Duff. Yes. Um, I had blonde hair as a kid. He had blonde hair. You know, just things like that that yeah. tie you to certain players. Um, and he was quick. He was attacking. Like we said, the midfield didn't inspire generations. But maybe Damien Duff and Robbie Keane were, well, they definitely were players who kids could pretend to be in the park. Um, definitely another figurehead of that team. A spark in there. You talked about McGeady. And Stephen Hunt as well. Yeah. Stephen Hunt at the time was... Um, I know he's a bit of a caricature in terms of his appearance and his ability and whatever. Yeah, he, lo- but, um, he looks brought out of the 1980s, uh, at yeah. least. Yeah, exactly. But he was uh, he was quite an, a, an exciting player at that time as yeah. well. He was young, you know, quick and a wide player. Any anything that Ireland can can hang on to is something something worth keeping hold of. So yeah, Dilf, Keane, um, Kevin Doyle up front, and Stephen Hunt as well. It feels like uh, back in that day, a lot of um, Ireland players were playing for Wolves at some point or another. Because I think I told you that my the whole family's Wolves. My dad's a big Wolves fan, so I've been following them my whole life, kind of on and off. And yeah, it feels like a lot of these names were either in the team then or they were in it a couple of years before or a couple of years after. It's an interesting connection. But um, I wanted to bring it back to now because we're talking a little bit about kind of... Um, I guess you could say the glory years, because like Ander said, this was a pretty strong team and you legitimately should have qualified for that tournament. But um, after the recent losses, 
uh, is qualification for the World Cup realistic? Or is this just a time to build and, and look towards the Euros after that and the World Cup after that? I mean, technically, I think it's only two or three games gone, but it it looks like there's already a mountain to climb to qualify. Yeah. Um, qualification is probably not going to happen. And for, in that sense, we have to look to the next tournaments, the next year as the next World Cup. Um but as you say, now is the time just for Stephen Kenny to dig his heels in and get his philosophy embedded into these young players that he's bringing through. Um, a lot of people have lost patience with him, like we've touched on. But I think that this qualification will serve Ireland in the long run in terms of getting his ideas across to the players because he is trying to transition and it's something that we've not seen for a long time. And... I just think that Kenny's the right man to go for. We can't, I don't think it's a, it would be a positive step to get rid of him and go back to a method that we've seen before of using a Mick McCarthy style manager who's going to sound right and is going to say all the good things of passion and fury and pressing and everything. Proper football man. Yeah, we. that's what... That's what football needs. We need more proper football men, apparently. No, we need, <laughs> I think we need Stephen Kenny, who's going to use the time that he should be given to change the way that people think about football in Ireland because people are so tired of just having bad result after bad result. And yeah, these results haven't been great, but you can see green shoots if you look at it from the positive perspective. So I'm really thinking of this qualification, like we've got Serbia in the group, we've got Portugal in the group, and we've got teams like Luxembourg, who we lost to everybody knows, but we can use these games to take a step up and push on in the next tournaments a few years down the line when these young players have got more experience. Because Jason Knight's 20. He's playing centre-attack in midfield for Ireland. Adam Ida, I think, 20, if not 21, I'm 20. sure. Yeah, 20. Yeah. 20, yeah. Um, these players have never played in World Cup qualifiers before. So let's use this moment with the new manager and hopefully the new restructuring of the framework around football in Ireland to push on in the next few years. We don't need to have success now because because of all that we've talked about. We need small changes to then make the bigger changes in the future. Can I just do a quick follow-up, Andrew, on that? Yeah, 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 um, totally. So one thing that's really hard about international management sometimes is that you don't get as much time as you do at club football. And sometimes I think the successful managers, they try and... Obviously, they have their philosophy and their style, but maybe the key players, they sort of try and build a system around what they're already doing every week for their clubs sort of thing. Now, I'm not really familiar with um, many of the Ireland players, especially the young ones. Um, so this is a, a, a genuine question for you. I don't know. Um, are the, the players that are coming through, the teams that they're playing for, the stars that they're playing, do they match with what Kenny's trying to do? Or is he kind of going to have trouble trying to get them to adjust to something that's completely alien to them? I think it's a footballing general question rather than just the clubs because lots of football cyclical in terms of its tactics and I think now lots of teams are, if not doing the same thing, they're attempting the same principles in terms of the press, in terms of um, like the high lines, the, the quick football, the expansive play. There's not and then 
for example, lots of teams are going into four four two in defence and all these tactical nuances that we don't need to get into. And I think that Stephen Kenny really gets that. And I think that's the first step because the managers previous to him have been managers that have taken these styles of let's if you for a quick example, think of um bottom of the Premier League managers. You know, like Sam Allardyce, typically Mick McCarthy would be in that yeah. area of the Premier League, who play that football who's that's instantly recognisable to their name. Stephen Kenny's moving away from that and he's looking at the more, I'm not saying Pep Guardiola football, but I am saying more modern, easy on the eye football that is generally, in terms of basic concepts, well known and well practised in most forward looking football clubs with forward thinking managers whether they be English managers or, or managers from Europe or further afar, this is the thing that Kenny's trying to do. He's trying to make the football go from that four-four-two low block, long ball, big striker up front or Robbie Keane in behind to let's try to keep the ball. Let's try to move in specific ways. Let's try to base our game more on when let's try and be the protagonist in the game and have the ball rather than except that we're the smaller nation, the smaller team of 4 million people, and we're not going to have 20% of the possession. He's trying to do the opposite. Hmm, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and they do have, like, we did, did touch on a few earlier, like, um, a lot of the more veterans, McLean, Horihan, Harry Yard are still kicking around. But you do see, like, for this last round of call-ups, he did leave a... a uh, a bunch of like the bigger names more established names out to like uh, kind of try these new players and get them going and again i think i'm trying since they've really gone down the route in previous years of really like being really attritional um very like a solid sort of team like trying here to go in a more dynamic sort of way and try to like it- in in a way, take advantage of the whole like youth that they do have to some extent, and see um, how much potential they do actually have. To what point they can uh, fulfill their potential. I think it's very interesting. And a bunch of like these players we were kind of touching on. You see, like a few, like for example, and I don't think he's a, a really super important part of the team, but still, like a, a player like Josh Cullen, who plays for a team like Anderlecht in Belgium, like. You have these players, and Adam Ida for Norwich is a good example too. Like having these players play in in like dominant teams and teams that like win a lot in their um, leagues, like Norwich did in the Championship, like Anderlecht do in um, in Belgium, and uh, and also had uh, Jason Malumbi at Brighton. Brighton play a very like expansive kind of style. Like there are, I think the, these players, like uh, kind of touching on what Craig was asking that do, like, kind of, I think, really nicely play into the dynamic. And, like, I think it's very seamless. You have Egan coming from a Sheffield United who played a very, like, particular style with a lot of nuance to it. So I think all these things have the potential of, like, forming an interesting sort of team that kind of kicks around within, like, these lower-ranked nations but can kind of be a bit of a surprise. Finland did make it to, like, this, uh, this Euros in, in 2021. So I think... That even though their expectations are low, the team doesn't seem to have that quality it used to have. It does seem to have at least that potential, at least a little bit of a, a bit of a flair and a little bit of a a small new hope in a way. Like not overly. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if Kenny can get enough of the results to kind of keep uh, progressing his idea. But it, but it's an, an interesting kind of new twist to what in contrast to what we've seen um, with Ireland for the last decade. Let's say. Yeah, if you take the eleven. 
let's say, the starting eleven from that France game we talked about and put it next to the eleven that um, that drew with Hungary. I think it was on the 8th of June. Yes. You'd take the 11 from the France game player for player, but yeah. you'd take the style from the Hungary game. Hmm. And I think that's what the, the that's where my positivity comes from anyway, because like you say, we do have the, the, even though these players right now aren't going, aren't looking like the next Robbie Keane or the next Damien Dove, there are young players coming through. Yes. And, as Ireland fans look from the outside, they're pretty positive people in terms of um, in terms of their hopes and aspirations for the football, um, in a general sense. And yeah, people would definitely. Although there are sections of the fan base that want Kenny's head already, let's not listen to them and let's say that. Well, at least we're changing the style. At least we're seeing a, a want for progress and an intent to progress and to reform and play this modern style that most teams are attempting in the modern game. And another tournament that they made after 2012 was 2016, where they made it even out of the group states. It was a, a new format of tournament uh, of the Euros in 2016. Um, eight more teams were added to the original 16 format. But I think, I mean, that even though it made maybe to some extent the group states not quite as thrilling, it did um, add a new element with new sorts of teams and it kind of added this whole new dynamic. And Ireland was, were one of the teams, as we were saying, that made it to 2016. And again, it was a team that, that did have its bright moments, had its bright spots. Players as Robbie Brady, who was, I would say, at his peak back then, he probably had a few more years to get to a bigger, higher peak, but then he had the injuries and all of such. Maybe didn't help with him. And a few players, like Jeff Hendrick, I remember being like a really like um, interesting player back then. He had been ha having a few interesting years in the championship with Derby previously. And I don't know, it was just a, a team that did have like a little bit of a thing to it that it was that made it quite uh, interesting, even though the kind of style was sort of like Martin O'Neill with Roy King there as the like that, uh, well, that sort of like figure, intimidating figure, um, to, to, to put it mildly. But um, yeah, that, that was another interesting little team that like in the end made it to a, a big tournament. Yeah, that um, that was really a high point in terms of my um, moments supporting Ireland. The like you said, the team, the competition was expanded and more teams were allowed in. And I think Ireland fans really saw that as an opportunity for a country like them that qualified so infrequently in the past to really take advantage of that. Um, qualifying and beating Bosnia with two goals from John Walters is sounds um, doesn't sound very. <laughs> important but it really is one of the high moments of my time supporting Ireland um it was away in Bosnia and it was all it was the fog was covering the pitch the you could fog, hardly see yeah it. that's right yeah. I forgot about and that and some of the photos from that game are, are brilliant and stick in my mind and then you get to the tournament and we play Sweden and Wes Houlihan who's the Irish Messi as everybody knows yes scored to and I think Ireland drew that game one all then we played Belgium and got tonked 3-0. And that was really like, okay, we've qualified. We should just remember. We should be happy to be here. But as results went, um, three points against Italy would have put us through out of the group. And it happened with the famous Robbie Brady goal in the 85th minute. Um, I just had a look at that Italy team. And the, I remember there being a lot of changes, but there was also some really good players. So there was um, 
Florenzi, Immobile was there, Insigne came off the bench. Yeah, when um, when the Ireland team has Robbie Brady as the principal attacking midfielder, left back and left midfielder, you know that our Ireland team is not one that stands out. Um, but yeah, it was um, Jeff Hendrick in that tournament was really was really interesting, as was um, as was James McLean and of course Robbie Brady who gave us just such an amazing moment, and then to come up against France in the round of sixteen. Mm. And to, and to score a penalty in the second or to score in the in the second minute was just incredible. You know that was enough for Ireland. Ireland could Ireland lost that game and Ireland were happy to go home because they'd had such an amazing group stage and an amazing match against the eventual finalists. Yeah, no, absolutely, and Griezmann uh, did flip it in that uh, game, like in three minutes. But yeah, like they were competing and had uh, on the scoreboard until the fifty eighth minute. And yeah, again, they had very like a few nice players. I think if you go on Twitter and like search for 2016 my tweets, you'll find me like talking about Jeff Henry because I remember like talking about Jeff Henry. Like Jeff Henry, all of a sudden, is really good. He's done. A, he's had a great season with Derby. He's playing really good for. For Ireland, and that, that was a team, yeah, again, that wasn't like the most seller of teams, but but really was able to compete and and put France, uh, the eventual finalists, against against the ropes. That was a very interesting tournament, uh, 2016. Uh, one last thing before we go into like the kind of quick fire questions to wrap things up for today. Um, I did want to touch, we did mention him very, very briefly uh, at the start, but um, the figure of Jar- Jack Charlton, you being a Leeds United supporter, um, and also supporter of the Republic of Ireland national team, um, Jack Charlton being the man that like brought Ireland finally to a World Cup, was also, as a player, a Leeds United legend. Yeah, what a, what a hero. Um, we can do a Jack Charlton special another time. Yeah. Right, you guys don't even need to be here. I'll just talk on my own about him for an hour. Um, I'll come and press record just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, an absolute hero, a hero with Leeds uh, through his outstanding and such a long playing career, um, and then to come and bring Ireland together and get Irish people on the streets and waving the flags like like he did. Like I'm sure you've seen the. The videos of um, after he passed away, the yeah. commiseration yeah. of the celebrations on the streets for him. Just an absolutely heroic figure for the entire country and um, for his for his brother to be such an iconic England figure and for him to be such an iconic Ireland figure really highlights it from an Irish perspective that um, he was just a modern day a modern day hero that had come from had come from England to save Ireland and to take them to a place that they'd never been before. That was really the pinnacle of Ireland supporting Irish football um, was with Jackie Charlton at the, as the manager. And yeah, just uh, sad to, so, so sad to see him go. And um, he just, he'll just be a, a figure that Ireland will forever look back on as somebody who, as I say, took them to a place that they never thought would be possible from an Irish perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I remember, I remember when when he passed the, that that week. Like I knew very little of him. Like I very like uh, superficially knew about his role with Ireland and, and such. But um, but yeah, having that um, 
that that influence and how in that in that week how it was kind of very really shown with all the tributes that the people um did and display displayed over those few days where it was very interesting very very moving on many levels um okay so to wrap things up as we were saying uh craig why don't you take us into the like the quick fire questions yeah so i just want to ask you a few quick questions here just for a bit of fun um you don't think about it in too much detail just try and go for the first thing that comes to your head and we'll see what we come up with so favorite island player right now james mclean favorite island player in your lifetime robbie Keane, without a doubt oh well yes with a doubt sorry this is not very quick fire now okay no um, no go on what's the doubt gary kelly is also up there for me yeah of course i see um, <laughs> of course we know my family and I'm uh, sorry, this is really not quick fire now. No, 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 that's worry. totally fine. No, like I'm the best thing of quick cool. fire rounds around the world are, are when they're not quick fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't worry. <laughs> um, we've, as Leeds fans, we saw him frequently and got to know him like on a personal oh, level. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, he's he's just such a hero of mine. But yeah, sorry, Robbie. Gary's taken number one. Right, okay, right in the Gary Kelly's has that as there's a podcast, right, Joe? There's a yeah, yeah, right yeah. in the Gary Kelly's, yeah. Uh, favorite island manager in your lifetime? Oh, uh, Martin O'Neill, just because he's fun. If not on the pitch, he's I like him off it. Yeah, I like him a lot, and I think he's uh quite underrated, I think, at club yeah. level at least. Uh, favorite island goal? Oh. Sean St. Ledger, Take 2012. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go Robbie Brady, 2016 against Italy. Nice, okay. Um, most memorable island match you've watched, for good or bad? Well, it, the bad is the is the French incident, the Omri handball, and a good match. Um, probably, I well... I would say my first, my live experience watching Ireland um, was in Portugal, in Faro in Portugal against Gibraltar. Oh, wow. Where oh. Um, Robert Keane... When King's, was that? Where I was in Gibraltar seeing friends and there was an island played Gibraltar in Faro in, Port, in southern Portugal. And yeah, because Gibraltar were playing like because they weren't allowed because the stadium in Gibraltar wasn't up yeah. to standard. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. How yeah, long no. ago was this? Because didn't Gibraltar only get? It feels like only yesterday that they got, uh, you know, recognized. No, they, 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 they've been around now for a few years. So, believe it or not, that wasn't me. Like 2016, yeah, two thousand sixteen. I was at university. Yeah, two thousand sixteen, maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. God, time flies. You know, it feels like last year that that, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. so so anyway how so how was that seen was that the the only time you've seen them live in person or no i went well um for that we went with the gibraltar um fans from that from gibraltar got the bus through through spain through sevilla out to over to portugal so i was in the gibraltar section of the of the stadium um with my island shirt underneath the gibraltar shirt uh-huh. um and the huge, I don't know, you might not have seen it, Gibraltar fans carry a huge flag, an absolutely giant flag. Um, and I had that in a rucksack on my back. And I, I was late into the match because the, the Portuguese security outside the stadium didn't let me in with such a huge flag. 
but that's for another time. Wow, interesting. Um, so yeah, that was that, and Robbie Keane scored a hat-trick, and I, well, there's not really a rivalry at all, but it's pretty friendly, you can imagine the Gibraltarians yeah. against the Irish is friendly as you, as it comes, really, so there was no problem with me celebrating Robbie Keane scoring a hat-trick, and then the other Ireland match that I seen was in the Aviva, another Gibraltar game, um, again, I went with my friends from Gibraltar in the away end, <laughs> and that was just another party, really. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. I can't remember the score. There was a lot of alcohol consumed and things like that. So, but yeah, I just remember it being just a party atmosphere and nice to be, nice to be at an island game because, as I said previously, it's something that between travelling, organisation, and money, it was never really something that I saw possible for me to do. So to be there twice, even if it was in the Gibraltar section of the crowd, was a dream, really. No, it sounds like an amazing experience, especially the one in Faro. And I, like you said, if, if there's no big rivalry, I don't think it matters if you're in the away end. I remember that um, just before the pandemic started, I went with my to see Wolves against Espanyol. In, and we were in the uh, we were with the Espanyol fans as well. We just went there and we tried to get a ticket and we managed to get one. But it didn't matter because, you know, for him, it was just a dream to see them play in Europe. And for me, too, it was, it was really cool. And I, there wasn't any kind of, you know, agitation. So, yeah, sometimes that, that can be really cool. Um, this next one is a little bit, could be a little bit of a negative one. Who's the person who's had the most detrimental effect on the Ireland national team? John Delaney. Without a doubt. <laughs> Without Very good. A doubt. We can leave that there if you like. We don't have to go into that. Um, this one, a little bit more positive. The biggest icon of Irish could be the man that we mentioned previously, maybe. Jack Charlton, or is there a bigger icon for you? For me personally, well, Jack Charlton's a good one, actually. Um, there's there's a few there's a few big names. There's Johnny Giles, who, as we've said, was... A, sublime attacking midfielder in the 60s and 70s for Ireland. Um, Robbie Keane, obviously, and Jack Charlton, a, a three there. Um, personally, I'll go for Robbie Keane being the icon because of his longevity and his goal scoring and his celebration, of course. Nobody can do a cartwheel worse than Robbie Keane. But he, still, <laughs> he still did it every time. Yeah. So, yeah, Robbie Keane. Yeah, A for effort. Um, and this is the final one. When will Ireland next qualify for a major tournament? Do you want the positive answer or the realistic answer? The positive Whatever answer, comes to you first. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? The positive answer is Stephen Kenny is going to drill these tactics into the young players in an incredibly quick time and we're going to qualify for the next World Cup. The realistic answer is if they keep expanding the Euros the way they're going, probably... Probably the Euros, I would say. May, if not the World Cup, but yeah, let's let's be positive and let's leave on a positive note and say that we're going to turn it round. And uh, Portugal don't know what's going to hit them when when they play them soon in September, I think. So in September, yeah. I, I have one last one for the quick fire. Is Ian Hart your favorite play Irish player to ever play in Spain? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I don't know. If that, um, I, I, Ian Hart's the only one I can think of. But. Um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. Probably just off the top of my head. Yeah, he played for uh, Leeds, so yeah, let, let, let's go. Let's go. So, you know, yeah, let's go. With that. Let's leave it on the Leeds link as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, we've reached the end, Joe. Thank you so much for for doing this, man. No, no, not a problem. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's been a pleasure, and uh, it's a really exciting, exciting thing that you've got. So yeah, look forward to hearing more of them. Thanks, Joe. It's been so good to have you. So good to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Sportico's Football Stories podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and all that good stuff. It really helps a podcast such as ours grow in these first stages. So please, please, please subscribe, like, and share widely. And don't forget to head to www.sportacost.com for all the news and statistics from the world of football. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sportacost.com. You can follow me at Craig Sportacost. And Ander, where can they follow you? At Anders Hoffman. Ander S. Hoffman altogether um, at Twitter. So, yeah, that's where you can find me as well. And finally, you can also email the show at show at sportico's.com with any questions you might want to put to our future guests. With that being said, thanks again to Joe for being here with us and you for listening, dear listeners. See you next time. Podcast Network.